big part of investing is not just looking at the numbers, but changing a community. When something is mismanaged, distressed, just the darkness comes in. And to be able to go in there and bring light and to make this place a little bit more beautiful, a little more safer, a little more pleasant to look at. It's a positive thing. It's making the world a better place. First, a quick word from our best ever partner, PropStream. PropStream is an all-in-one platform that gives you the tools you need to reach more leads, book more meetings, and close more deals with less work. With PropStream, you can find vacant and off-market properties in seconds, nationwide or specific to any zip code. You can skip trace owner information, find cash buyers specific to an area, and find other investors to potentially partner with or fund your deals. PropStream provides you the comprehensive data and market insight you need to be at the top of your real estate game. PropStream also features state-of-the-art marketing tools that allow you to send out direct mail postcards and ringless voicemail. Even if you're not in real estate, PropStream can help you locate high net worth individuals to invest in your non-real estate business, or if you are in real estate, then you can find them to invest in your real estate business. You can use this tool to find people who have millions of dollars in equity in their homes, and you can reach out to them via email, telephone, or snail mail. This is the perfect real estate investing tool for wholesalers and real estate agents, real estate investors, and entrepreneurs. I love how easy the PropStream website is to use. With a few clicks, you can review comps in the area or estimate rehab costs prior to purchasing a property. Act now to take advantage of the plethora of properties that have and will continue to hit the market during this time. And best ever listeners, do you know we got something special for you? You're going to receive a free seven-day all-access trial to experience all the features this powerful tool has, and you'll experience it firsthand. Just go to your7dayfreetrial.com. That's Y-O-U-R, the number seven, dayfreetrial.com. Get started with this. Get your seven-day free trial and start growing your business even more so than you have been. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Pankash Sharma. How you doing, Pankash? Hey, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing great. And welcome to the show. A little bit about Pankash. She's a second generation multifamily owner operator with 20 years experience. Personal portfolio, well, that consists of 2,000 units in five cities host of KarmaCast, based in Spring City, Pennsylvania. With that being said, you want to give the best of your listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Right now, like I said, we manage about 13 properties in five metro tertiary, second, I would say second markets, and all in Pennsylvania, Allentown, Reading, Pottstown, Harrisburg, and Chester County. Basically, when I was about 10 years old, my father bought his first property, no money down, he borrowed and he got owner financing, and he borrowed the rest of the money, about $90,000 down for a property with 54 units. Well, now it's 54 units, but it was 52 units at the time. So I grew up painting apartments, cutting the grass, and, and doing various things, holding the bucket for my father as he would do maintenance requests at times, fixing <laughs> problems. So growing up, like I didn't think this is something I was going to get into, and I kind of tried to get further as possible from it. But as I got older... How um, come? 
I just thought I had another calling. I had my own journey to go through and always kind of like the grass is greener on the other side type of, of thing. Of course. Yep. So they always tell you to follow your passion, follow your passion kind of stuff. And that kind of confused me for a while. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I realized that I can invest my passion. I can turn on the switch of passion anywhere with anything. And I can be passionate with what I'm doing as an investor. And I saw everything from a different angle and perspective. And as I grew older, my perspective and my angle started to change. I would only see the problems. I didn't see where this is going, you know? Mm-hmm. I saw the problems and the headaches and that kind of thing, which is good. I'm glad I had that background and basis. So, you know, I've done everything from painting apartments to managing a property myself to doing those things. I never loved property management. I got into it. I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into it because we would take over properties at times and it was really in bad shape. So we've made a portfolio basically consisting of buying mismanaged distressed properties buying them at a good price and fixing them up and keeping them for the long haul and building a portfolio like that. Mm-hmm. Collectively, our family has a portfolio of uh, 4,500 units. So my brother, he has about 2,500 units and I got about 2,000 units. So your bread and butter is buying mismanaged distressed properties, getting them to stabilize and holding for the long haul. What was the last property you purchased? Let's talk about that. So the last deal we did was in July of 2019. It was the biggest deal we've ever done, which is over 800 units. Five wow. Properties, five properties in the city of Harrisburg, which is the capital of Pennsylvania. Okay. And the deal came to us and I wasn't really that interested. It was really mismanaged, really distressed properties and two high-rise buildings. And I've had a high-rise building for a while, but we came very close to signing the property. And then I just at the last minute backed out. I was away on Thanksgiving vacation at Turks and the deal was all ready for me to sign. It was being pushed through. It wasn't one of those deals where you could do a whole lot of due diligence. It wasn't even on the market. It was an off-market kind of deal. And I backed out at the last minute. I just had this really gut-wrenching feeling that something was not, not right. And I backed out. And a few months later, the property came to us again. But it came and it was wholly different. Like the owner was more relaxed. He was desperate, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And he was more relaxed and wasn't a property management company anymore. He was managing it himself, which is a lot easier to do a takeover when you have something that's self-managed um, Why? as opposed to a property management company. Because we self-manage all our properties. When we're buying a property, we're not just looking at the, the investment figures of it. We're looking at the operational aspect as well. Okay. But how does that help? The way it helps is because it's an easier transition. When the property management company, they don't have an investment in the new owner because they know they're going out. Mm -hmm. So they're like high and by, and then it's a harder thing to fill the roles. But if the person's managing themselves, those people want to work with you. So you've already got a team there, and then you can kind of sift through the team and work out. So you have time. Whereas though property management company is gone, and it's a big operation like that, five properties across the city, and to bring in a team and hit the ground running, it's a really tough deal. Yeah, so the two things, one is just the staffing, and then two is the attitude. Yeah, the property management company, they don't have an investment in the property. They're out of a job now that you're coming and taking over their property. Right. They have no investment. In it. And property management, they don't have investment in the property period anyway. So even when they manage the property itself, they're not as attached to it as the owner would be. So you backed out last minute around November, a few months later, came back to you. February, yeah. And what did those terms look like compared to the original terms? Well, we got the price dropped a million dollars. There you go. I think we could have went for two, but we definitely (laughs) got that. That's a a really good term, right? 
Uh-huh. And the owner was really trying to push through the deal in like 30, 60 days, doing a quick close, you know, do your due diligence up front. Once you sign, you can't get out of the deal. It was really, yeah. it was really a, a lot of pressure. And even though we signed the deal in February, it, it wasn't until July that we could finally close on this deal because there was so much going back and forth between the lawyers and the legal work and looking at things and checking out violations and that kind of stuff. So it was a crazy deal to get through in all those months. Wow. Trying to get to the closing it was very extraneous. What was the purchase price? So the purchase price was $50 million. So we got it for about 60 something thousand a unit. $50 million, 828 units, mm-hmm. approximately. The numbers changed. Originally, when we went in 828 units. Now it's 820 something else. But that's the other thing, you know. The, <laughs> Why is that? Add units, you know, because they'll add a unit here, there. So <laughs> then you come out and you just realize uh, it's a few here and a few there. So there's definitely a difference. So I, I don't remember what the last total was, but it wasn't the 828 was sealed in my brain because that was the number. So I always did. Uh, what is it? 50 million divided by 828. Yeah, so it was about 60,000 a unit. But there's no inventory here, you know? Joe said there's nothing on the market. So the guy was wanted to sell and we needed something. Why was he in a distressed situation to the best of your knowledge? He was also a second generation. He moved a lot of his money into New York City. So he was a distant manager. He never really came to Harrisburg. He never came to the locality. A property management was managing most of the properties for him. And he kept the one property that was pretty well stabilized. He kind of kept that for himself. Mm -hmm. And he was always constantly moving his money to New York. He was always taking the money from Harrisburg and moving it to New York. So he wanted, and now looking at the whole situation, if we didn't come and get the property at some point, I think he would have even lost the property. He was also a second generation multifamily owner as myself. Well, it's the second generation. Well, supposed to, second generation is supposed to grow the business. The third generation is supposed to lose it all. Exactly. He, he was one generation early. Yeah, I'm not saying he's losing it all, but his management style was very different from us. And then it was a real story because a lot of vendors were not paid, and a lot of bills were not paid. So you got a high-rise building, and it's over forty thousand dollars. The electric is due, mm-hmm. and they want to come and shut off the electric for a high-rise building with two hundred seventy units. The gas company wants to come off, shut off the gas, these things. And our understanding was that all these things, well, I'll get to this later because you're going to ask me what's the biggest mistake I probably made at some point in the the transaction. And uh, Uh I get more into that. But yeah. Well, just mention it. While we're on the topic, what were you going to say? So we've never taken over a property and the person who was the previous owner just left so many people high and dry. And then you have all these people coming to you and we're just like, well. They we, want bought money. The, we bought the property. We didn't buy the debt on the property, you know, mm-hmm. but some places you had breakout deals and work. So luckily we had a good reputation in the area and some of the vendors just knew us because of our name and they were just, they gave us the benefit of the doubt that we weren't going to do them dirty. So the distressed high rise building, I heard you, you said five properties across the city. How many of those five are high rises? Two of them were high rise and one high rise in particular, people were interested in buying three or four of the properties, but nobody wanted the fifth one. What was the fifth one? The fifth one was a high-rise building. Okay. How many stories? I would say 11. 11 stories. 118 okay. units. There's two different towers. It's a pretty old building. It was built in the 30s, which most of our mm-hmm. stuff is like in the 70s. So we put a lot of work into that building. There was no cameras or anything. There was a lot of all kinds of shady activity going on there. Mm-hmm. It's come a long way in a short period of time. And I've had a high rise for over 20 years. That was a foreclosed property that we had originally bought for $2 million as a foreclosed property. I had 
96 units in it. Today, we built another 60 units because there was two floors of empty commercial space that we added 60 units about five years into the property. And that today, that property is worth a lot of money. So high rises, if you manage them properly, but they're more intense as far as they're more management intensive. Please elaborate. I've never owned a high rise. What should we be aware of when we look at high rise buildings versus garden style? Yeah. Elevators is an important issue because that's what's going to be traveling. Everybody's going to be traveling the elevators. So if it's older building, elevators is a really key thing. What about elevators? The condition of the elevators, the maintenance of the elevators, how well they've been maintained, how old they are. If you buy a building that was built in the 70s, if it's got original motors and everything, it's 50 years old. At some point, stuff starts to go. So elevators is a key. Are they expensive? Oh, yes. Elevators can be very expensive to refurbish and to modernize. It could take a lot of money. What's a lot of money? Depends on the elevator, but you could easily spend $100,000 easily. You know, wow. we spent, I don't know, $50 for motors and parts in different times, 50000 So we were lucky with this building, Bellevue Towers, because the building was shut down prior to us buying it. And he had to redo the elevators and he had to do a lot of work in the elevators. Okay. So we weren't stuck with that. What but else about the, high-rise buildings? The other buildings? thing that's very important to look at is the boiler operations. Because if you're in a high-rise building, you've got huge mechanicals, right? So the elevator is a huge mechanical. The boiler system, the heating system, those are huge mechanicals as well. Some buildings will have independent heat and hot water, HVAC per unit. Some you might have on a collective, you know, depending on when it was built. So I've got a high-rise here in Pottstown, the 156 unit, one I told you about. The hot water is collective. The Bellevue Towers, the hot water and the heat is collective. So... That's the other thing. You're going to be paying for the hot water, the heat, those things as well. Mm -hmm. So as a resident, it's an all-bills-paid property? They just pay their electric. But the Bellevue Towers, that property, the heat is included as well. Okay. It's on like one of those, what is this, baseboard heat system? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with it. It's a new thing for me. But we spend a lot of money updating and working on the system as well because it's like these bigger operational mechanicals, if they're not well-maintained and Sometimes people do cheap fixes or patches, you know, and it's just, it gets very crazy at times. Hmm. It's got to be an interesting transaction whenever it's February and he comes back to you and then you don't close until July. So what are a couple things that I imagine the closing was pushed back a couple times. So what are a couple things that push back the closing? Well, there was a lot of blame going on with the title company. They were blaming the title company. The title company was out to lunch. So getting a good title company, we've never had that kind of experience before, but the title company that was used, that was our lawyer's title company, was really out to lunch. And it took a while for them to get their gear spinning. And because of the amount of issues, the city had sued this guy at one point. He took the city to to court and he lost. Oh. And they, even at the end, he was laughing with me. He's like, you know, they got a warrant for me in Harrisburg. I can't even go to Harrisburg. <laughs> oh, my. So, you know, <laughs> violations and things of that nature. Because the city there, they monopolize the trash. Like, they can only get the trash to the city. Mm. And so you pay more trash-wise for these properties in this location than you would another property because there's no competition. It's all through the city of Harrisburg. Mm. So he tried to fight that, and I, I guess he lost. And that was in the middle of it being under contract? No, no, no. I think he did these things before. So it was a mess with the title company and then lawyers. And then luckily we refinanced another property. And that's why we were able to close this deal because 
the property itself didn't have strong fundamentals so that it could finance itself. Most of the times you buy a property, you're able to put 30% down or whatever you down in the, and you'll be able to finance the rest. Here, this wasn't the case because the property wasn't that strong. It didn't have a strong tenant base. It wasn't well managed. It didn't have a strong rent roll. So even when we took over in July, in August, the collections were about 70 some percent. And then there was a lot of weeding that was going on because they filled a lot of the units with people that could fog a glass or fog a mirror for whatever yep. reason, whether it was to beef up the rent roll for whatever reason, people that were not adequately qualified to be residents were given apartments. Mm-hmm. So we had to do a lot of cleaning out as well. But now but we moved fast and we went from something that was in the 70% mark of collections and occupancy to just last month, we reached 94% collections. Congratulations. Bravo on that. And then all of a sudden we're hit with this, this yeah, whatever right. we're hit with, right? This whole the thing. Pandemic. <laughs> but luckily we were able to build a strong base prior to that. Because if we had something like this to really take us down, our mortgage on just on those five properties is $400,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Principal insurance and taxes. Mm-hmm. So you refinance another property to purchase this portfolio, but then you just mentioned you have a mortgage. So this how much down? Highly leveraged, and the person probably wasn't at this point able to pay the bills. The reason why the bills were left unpaid because he couldn't pay them at the end, I'm pretty sure. Because right. if the rent roll total is about at 625000 which now it's at 627000 the gross rent, and 400000 of that is mortgage, how are you going to pay the rest of the bills? So luckily... Out of our 400000 I don't know how he had his finance, but we do a 15-year loan. Okay. Obviously, we're going to be paying a lot more per month than most investors because we're paying off 15 years, so our, our mortgage payments are higher. But we're getting equity faster as well. Yep. By the time that 15 years is over, we've got a building that's paid for that then is worth usually two to three times more than what we originally bought it for. Mm-hmm. And then you can take that money back out and then buy another property. So the one property we had bought a long time ago, I think in 96, we bought for less than 5 million, 296 units. That property in itself today could easily, well, now who knows where with the Corona thing, right? But prior to just last month, if I were talking to you, I could say you could easily get 100,000 a unit for that property. Mm -hmm. So that's over 20 mil. Mm -hmm. We took 15 million out of that property and refinanced. That property was paid off a couple years ago. So what percent down did you have on the 50 million? So 15 million plus another 5 million is 20 million right there. Yep. And then the bank financed the other 30 million, which is 60%. Okay. Purchase price. So we just had to put 5 million out cash. Yep. Plus the closing costs, which is another a million and a half, a million, 1.7 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. 70% to 94%. So check this out. What industry can you buy something for $50 million with $5 million cash? I, I pick real estate for a reason. Yeah. Good thing whenever you were looking at other passion projects, you ended up back here. <laughs> right. <laughs> now with my understanding, I realized like, what business can you operate like this where you can get something for $50 million, right? Which is probably worth a little more than that. We got a good price. Only $5 million cash. And then 15 years, a big chunk of that's going to pay it off because we have two loans. The one loan for the 30 million is 25 year this time, but the other refinance one is 15. And then you got another property that's paid off, paying off that portion of it. $150,000 mortgage is paid off from the refinance. Mm-hmm. And so the five properties themselves are only paying about 250 of the mortgage. How does your team go in and change collections from 70% to 94%? And over what period of time was that? So we're looking at August, 
six, seven months, eight months total. Mm -hmm. It was really just being laser-like, going in, putting the money to do some of the capital improvements to fix up the outside, get the curb appeal up, start creating an energy that the change is here. And people that realize that they're not going to be able to stay here because of the improvements going on, they just start leaving. And the ones that don't leave that just can't pay, you have to go through that process. So you have to clean house. You have to weed the garden. You know, apartment investing is a lot like gardening or farming. One seed grows into many seeds, but you got to maintain and nurture the crop. You got to do the weeding. You got to clean out the weeds and then you got to prune the tree in a fruit tree scenario so that you can bear more fruit from it. You mentioned curb appeal. Is that the first thing that you do? We had to pick our battles because there was so much going on. Yeah. So in this situation, I did curb appeal, but then there's other things like new roofs that were put on and things of that nature that were not something that you could see from an aesthetic point of view, but that was necessary and needed to go in. There was sidewalks that were really bad. That just one sidewalk, I think I spent $40,000, $50,000 just for doing a whole block of sidewalk. It was really bad. And the trees were bringing it up. So you don't want the trip hazard. But doing those type of things created news in the area as well, like where the mayor was seeing what we we're doing. The mayor wanted to meet with us and it never happened, but at least the word was out that somebody new is in town and they're taking care of business. They're being responsible because a big part of, like I say, investing is not just looking at the numbers, but changing a community. When something is mismanaged, distressed, just the darkness comes in. And to be able to go in there and bring light and to make this place a little bit more beautiful, a little more safer, a little more pleasant to look at. It's a positive thing. It's making the world a better place. Taking a step back, based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Patience. It's a long-term game. It's not a get-rich-quick or get-rich-overnight scheme. It's consistency and patience. That's what I've seen, what my father has done, and then what we're able to continue is just being consistent and not giving up. It's also a game where you need balls. You need courage. It's not for everybody. It's not for the weak at heart. Because you're going to see things, you're going to go through situations that are really going to test you. So you need some grit, you need some guts. A lot of people through the years have come to our family and asked for advice and wanted to get in real estate, but they really didn't have the courage. My father was able to like, I didn't know nothing about apartments when he started out. Mm-hmm. And I'm really amazed at the courage and the faith he had in going for it. Well, 828 units, five across Harrisburg, distressed, two of them high-rise buildings, that takes some faith and some courage, that's for sure. Especially whenever you are refinancing out a successful project and using that money as a down payment for this, because I'm sure there was some internal dialogue about, uh, <laughs> do we really want to do that or should we just be happy with this $15 million refi and not plunk it down into this major, major challenge ahead of us? Mm-hmm. And that city where we first bought the property that we um, did the right in is, is Allentown, Pennsylvania. And where that city was 15, 20 years ago and where it is now, it's like, it's amazing the shift that's happening. And so Harrisburg is behind, but we can see that even the growth there in the last 10 years, my brother's been there for 10 years and he's seeing the growth that's happening there. And now there's all kinds of cranes and stuff in, in Allentown. There's no cranes or anything in Harrisburg except for they're building a courthouse. So that long-term game of 15, 20 years, we just see the evolution of how real estate continues to evolve and grow over a long period of time. I like your business plan with the 15 years and then just doing your business plan, self-managing, and then refinance out at that point and then 
do it again or, or do something else with it. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First quick word from our best ever partners. PropStream is an all-in-one platform that gives you the tools you need to reach more leads, book more meetings, and close more deals with less work. With PropStream, you can find vacant and off-market properties, locate potential investors, or gain invaluable market insight in seconds. PropStream also features state-of-the-art marketing tools that allow you to send out direct mail postcards and ringless voicemail, which will help you close more deals with less stress. Visit your7dayfreetrial.com to start your free trial and experience all the amazing features PropStream has to offer. That's your, the number seven, dayfreetrial.com. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? Like I said earlier... Giving back is investing in a mismanaged, distressed property and bringing the neighborhood to a place where it's safe, where it's harmonious, where there's peace, there's not unrest. And I never saw that before until this last year of really seeing how investors can make the world a better place. We talked about a challenge that you've come across. How can the best of listeners learn more about what you're doing? We started a YouTube channel a few months ago when we were getting into all this crazy stuff with this last deal, and it's called Sharma's Karma. My last name, S-H-A-R-M-A apostrophe S, and then karma. Sharma's karma on YouTube. Oh, um, cool. I'll check it out. And, and we, videos. we got our podcast on there as well, and we show what we're doing. Is know. the karma cast your podcast? The karma cast is a podcast that's oh, okay. Sharma's karma. Cool. All right. I will put that in the show notes as well, the Sharma's karma YouTube channel. I'd like to check that out. I'd like to see what type of projects you are working on, like see them in person or not We've in person, but through video. Year, we did a, a $20,000 rehab on an apartment. This guy had lived there for over 20, 30 years and it was just terrible. It was like the walls were yellow with mm-hmm. smoke and everything from cigarette smoking. And the apartment was like, so like there was no breathing room in the oh, bathroom. You there? We opened it up and we just did a re- full on renovation. So we showed the before, during and after with that project enjoyed our conversation very 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 much i love talking to you about what you're doing grateful that my team found you however they found you grateful that they found you shout out to jerome myers i think he connected me with you. okay well grateful for that and thank you for telling us about the 828 ish unit portfolio in harrisburg and just your overall process enjoyed it hope you have the best ever day talk to you again soon you too joe thank you so much